Well, uh, summer is very, very much here, isn't it? It's hot. I hope you're going to manage to stay with me uh, for the next bit of time. Um, summer is here, and, and I think quite a lot of us probably came to church or are watching online uh, this morning with a big question in our heads. That is, can I make it to my summer holiday without having to isolate? That is, that is on, what's, on what's on our minds at the moment. Will I make it or will I get pinged? Um, but whether, whether you have a summer holiday booked and, and you're looking longingly at that or whether you're sticking around uh, in Chessington this summer, I want to ask you a question. And that is, how do you prepare? What kind of holiday maker are you? How do you get ready for that long-awaited trip? Think about it for a minute, because I think there are generally two types of people when it comes to holiday preparation. Uh, type one, this might be you, type one are the super prepared. Uh, you know the people? Uh, they've got that carefully crafted, laminated packing list that would make them ready for a trip to Everest or a trip to Cornwall. It doesn't really matter, but they will be prepared. Uh, these, these are the people that they, they pack so far in advance that everyone in the family has to wear the same two sets of clothes for a month because everything is already packed and you mustn't get it back out of the bag again. Uh, they've researched the holiday destination to such an incredible depth that they could tell you the comparative prices of fuel in all the local petrol stations and precisely how long it takes to get from any location in Cornwall to the nearest coffee shop. Maybe that's you. Maybe you are the super prepared when you go on holiday. The other kind of people are the super chilled uh, the ones that say, I don't really want to think about it because that defeats the point of a holiday. Uh, these are the people that the night before they leave, they just empty their entire wardrobe into the suitcase. They're not really sure how long the journey is going to take or which way they're going to go because they'll get there when they get there. Um, and they're also the kind of people that you see reappear on the driveway 20 minutes after they've left because they've forgotten something inconsequential like the passports. Those are the other kinds of people. There are two ways to get ready for a holiday, aren't there? And the reason I mention that this morning is not uh, for you to figure out which one you are. You probably know which one you are. No, the reason I mention it is because Paul is going to talk all about getting ready in our passage this morning. That's his focus. Uh, last week, if you were with us, you remember that he had shifted to thinking about the future. Uh, he's been speaking, hasn't he, about the return of Christ, that big theme in this letter. And last week we heard him talk about what that means specifically for Christians who have died. And remember, his big point was that for believers who had died or fallen asleep in Christ, well, he said they wouldn't, they wouldn't be separated from Christ, but would instead remain in him and so eventually be raised by him on that last day, the day that he returns. And so Paul said, chapter 4, verse 18, be encouraged, Thessalonians. You don't need to worry about them because they are safe in Christ. And whilst chapter 4 might have left the Thessalonians encouraged about their brothers and sisters in Christ who had already died, it seems to be come to chapter 5 that it's also left them with a bit of a question. And that is, well, what about us? What about those of us who are still alive and so still waiting for Jesus to come back? 
What reassurance, what encouragement is there for us? And that's Paul's focus in our passage today. So look back at chapter 5 with me. And first we see there that he says Jesus really will return. Jesus really will return. Chapter 5, verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them. Suddenly, as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. If you can think back uh, a few weeks ago, we thought about that question, what would you say to a new believer? Uh, What are the, the ABCs of the Christian life? And I don't know about you, but as we've worked through this letter, the answers we find here, the the things that Paul seems to prioritize for these young believers are fairly surprising. Think about it for a minute. Uh, Paul has written to a a young church, and he's spoken so far about sex, laziness, and death. Not your usual topics of conversation when you meet up with a new Christian for coffee, are they? And the same is true for what Paul talks about here. Maybe your experience is a bit different to mine, but Jesus' return just doesn't seem to be part of day-to-day conversation when Christians get together. I think there are a couple of reasons for that. One is to do with our instant culture. We live in a time and age where over 100 million people have Amazon Prime. Uh, Basically, to make sure we don't have to wait more than 24 hours to get our delivery. Or where 137 million people have Netflix or borrow someone else's Netflix. And which means they don't have to wait a whole week for the next episode of their favorite program. We live in an instant culture. And that's made us generally impatient. We don't like to wait for things, do we? Uh, My mum used to say to me, the best things in life are worth waiting for. I think I'm more likely to say to my kids, it's not worth the wait. We really just hate waiting. And so the idea that that Christ's return is something in the future, something we have to wait for, it goes against everything that we've become used to. We'd rather focus on the here and now, the, the instant, the immediate. And that means we don't tend to think much of Christ's return. We live in an instant culture. And we live in a comfort culture. In general, life in the West has never been better. Of course, we all experience tough times. This last year has been incredibly hard for lots of people. But even in a pandemic, we generally have things pretty good here in the UK. If you've got food in your fridge and clothes on your back and a roof over your head, you are richer than 75% of the world's population. Compared to most people in the world, we live in comfortable circumstances. And it seems that the more comfortable people get now, the less excited we become about then. And so I've spoken to lots of Christians who admit that they're not actually that excited about Jesus coming back. They're Christians who struggle to pray, come Lord Jesus, come, because they're quite enjoying life in the here and now. We live in an instant culture and we live in a comfort culture. And that means we don't tend to think or talk that much 
about Christ's return. But here in chapter 5, Paul says, whether you talk about it, whether you think about it or not, you need to be in no doubt that Jesus is coming back. That is certain, he says. It's certain and it will be sudden. Verse 1, he says, we, we don't know the times and dates, but we do know that it will happen. And it will happen suddenly. Verse 2, just as a thief doesn't send you a polite email notifying you of the exact time and date that he intends to break into your house. Or verse 3, just as a pregnant woman doesn't book in the exact time and date uh, to go to the maternity ward because that's when the baby will come. So Jesus will come without warning. He will come suddenly, says Paul, shockingly, at a time when people aren't giving him a second's thought. In fact, he'll come when people are saying to themselves, peace and safety. Uh, When they're going about their daily lives, assuming that because they've got money in the bank, uh, a loving family and a healthy diet, that, that everything will just work out okay. In fact, I think that lots of people today say peace and safety to themselves, either because they don't believe in God at all, and so they're not bothered in any way about him coming back, or because they do believe in God, but but not a God who will judge, not a God who really cares about how they've lived or how they've treated him for their whole life. And so, of course, they'll be safe if that day even comes. They can live at peace, they say to themselves, whatever the future might hold. But you see here, Paul says, no. No, don't be fooled. Don't think you're safe simply because you've chosen not to believe in the reality of Christ's return. Don't say peace to yourself just because the God that you've made up in your head isn't a God who judges. No, Paul says, Jesus will come back. That is a fact. He will come suddenly and he will come to judge. And so this is a serious warning for anyone who is found to be rejecting him on that day. Regardless of the nice and comforting things we say to ourselves, verse 3 says, destruction is what waits for those who reject Christ. It is a serious warning. And so can I say, if that is you this morning, that if you're new or or visiting or, or you've been coming for a long time, but you know that you don't know Jesus, then can I say, please take this as seriously as Paul intends you to. Act now because you don't know when this day will come. Don't delay, don't, don't put it off until you're older, don't wait until life is a little bit more manageable. No, come to Jesus now. Ask him for forgiveness today. Trust in him today and you can know his love and forgiveness for all eternity. As we're going to see in just a moment, Christ's return, that final day, it holds no fear for those who believe in him. But Paul's words are a warning. They are a warning to those who are rejecting Christ. But they're also a wake-up call. They're a wake-up call to those who do believe in Jesus but have lost sight of his return. 
Which brings us to the second thing Paul wants us to see. He, he says, Jesus is coming back. That is a fact. So be ready. Be ready. Uh, last week we heard, didn't we, how Paul contrasted Christians with the rest of the world, particularly in the way that they ought to grieve. And here in verse 4, he continues to, to make that contrast between those that know Jesus and those that don't. Uh, look at verse 4. He says, but you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. Paul says, look, those, those people that wander around through life saying peace and safety to themselves, they're like those living in the dark. They've got no idea what, what is going on around them, what is real. In verse 7, Paul says they're like a, a drunk person stumbling around in the darkness, fumbling through life with the lights turned off. They're living in the dark, says Paul. But that's not you. You, Thessalonians, are children of light. You belong to the daytime. As we saw back in chapter 2, the Thessalonians have received and believed God's word. They've been filled with his spirit. And so for them, it's like the lights have been switched on. Suddenly they can see everything clearly. They've got a, a true sense of what is, what is real, what life is about, what is going to happen in the future. And so Paul says that should change everything. You can't carry on living as though you don't know those things now. Verse 6, so then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. Don't be like those living in the dark, says Paul. Instead, wake up. Be alert. Be alert to the reality that Jesus is coming back. Be sober. Be, be clear in your thinking when it comes to life in this world. In other words, Paul says Christians are to live every single moment of every single day in the light of Christ's return. As we saw back in chapter 2, we're, we're to view life with this eternal perspective, allowing that final day to shape everything we say and think and do today. What does that look like? What does it really mean to live in the light of Christ's return? Well, maybe you've seen those, um, those T-shirts or those bumper stickers that say something like, Jesus is coming back, so look busy. Uh, maybe you've seen some of those. Uh, that's what some people think, isn't it? Just, just appear to be busy. Just, just make sure you're doing something godly and you'll be okay. Well, those T-shirts and bumper stickers, they're, they're meant to mock uh, these sorts of things. They're meant to mock Christians, and so we tend to just ignore them. But I do think sometimes we can slip into something of that sort of thinking when it comes to these things. We can convince ourselves that quiet times, Bible studies and evangelism are pretty much the only things Jesus will be pleased to find us doing when he comes back. And whilst obviously they are good and essential things for us to do, as we thought about a few weeks ago, we do need to be careful not to create some sort of spiritual, secular divide when it comes to living the Christian life. Paul's concern here is less about what we are doing and more about who we are becoming as we wait for Christ to return. Let's look at verse 8. He says, But since we belong to the day... 
Let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Paul comes back to his familiar trio of faith, love and hope. Remember, we've seen this throughout the letter. He said time and time again, hasn't he, that that living the Christian life, being ready for Christ's return, means growing in, or as he says here, putting on these things every single day. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing. So being ready means putting on faith. As we saw back in chapter 1, it means welcoming God's word with joy. It means turning from the idols of this world and putting your trust, your faith, in King Jesus, living wholeheartedly for him. Being ready means putting on faith. It also means putting on love, he says. As we saw back in chapter 2, loving others means being concerned for those who are in spiritual danger and rejoicing with those who are standing firm in the Lord. Or in chapter 4, remember we saw, didn't we, that loving others means laboring for their good, working hard for the sake of someone else, thinking more about what you can give to your church family than what you can get from them. Put on faith, put on love, and then put on hope. Being ready means having that, that certain hope of salvation. It means having confidence not, not in ourselves and what we do or don't do for God, but confidence in Christ and what he has done for us. So just look at verse 9. Paul says, For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live together with him. The reason we can have this confidence, the reason we can have hope, is because Christ has died for us. And so, whether we're awake or asleep in him, we are safe with him. This morning, that's what we have had the joy of hearing Matt explain happening in his own life. Uh, he referred to the, uh, we referred to the little uh, testimony that you should have had on your seats. I'm going to read just a little bit of that uh, this morning, just now. And just listen for that hope that Paul speaks about here in Thessalonians. Matt says this, I always believed at some point I could turn to God and give up the sins of the world, but tried and failed on multiple occasions, every time being like the builder who never fully counted the cost and was unable to finish building on any foundations that were laid. This led me to conclude that Christianity was too hard for me. I could not live the life that God needed. I continued reading my Bible and occasionally praying, never doubting God's existence, but giving up hope of ever being saved and accepting my fate on judgment day. Without any hope and realizing the things of this world could never truly satisfy, I struggled daily with life. It wasn't until getting to this low point and giving up hope that God came and opened my eyes, turned the lights on, and the truth that I've been reading about all my life became real. Suddenly, the God I knew about in the Bible became real to me, and my eyes were opened to his glory. After seeing this, the things I thought I wanted in this world became irrelevant. 
I saw how far I fell short of God and how in my current state there was nothing I could do to please him. This revelation opened my eyes to the majesty of Christ, how only his perfect sacrifice could save me from the sins I had committed. This is a love I will never fully understand, that Christ came to be despised and rejected so that I could be saved. Even though I had turned away and rejected him throughout my life, I now have hope in my life. I can live in the knowledge that, as Paul says to the Ephesians, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. That is the hope that Matt has, that we've been celebrating this morning. It is the hope that all Christians have, that we are saved by God's grace. We deserve his wrath. The wrath that Paul speaks about here in chapter 5. But because of his mercy and grace, Jesus died so that we can receive forgiveness and life in him. And so if we have faith in Jesus, we can look forward to a glorious future on the day he returns. A future, as we thought about last week, where we will be reunited with our Christian brothers and sisters who have died before us. A future where there'll be no more sin, no more suffering, no more disease, no more death. A future where, end of verse 10, we will live together forever with Christ. That is what we look forward to. That is what we look forward to if we trust in Jesus. And so Paul says, verse 11, encourage each other. Encourage each other with these things. Help each other to keep going as you talk about the day that Christ returns. The reality of that day. Remind each other daily that he is coming back. And nothing, not even isolation, will put a stop to that day. Encourage each other to keep on going. And then end of verse 11, build each other up. Help each other to keep growing in faith and love and hope. Paul's going to give us a load of ways to do that in the final part of his letter, which we'll see next week. But for now, as we close, let's pray that God would make us those who encourage each other and build each other up in these things so that we can keep going and keep growing until Christ returns. Let's pray together. Our loving and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much Uh, for the Lord Jesus. We thank you for the gospel, the good news that he has died so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him forever. Father, what a wonderful hope, what a certain hope that we have in Jesus. Please help us to fix our eyes on him and to encourage each other in these things, we pray, until the day that he returns. Amen.